I noticed it more this year than I have in a long time. Maybe it's because I'm getting older, but man, before daylight savings time last week, I was having a really hard time getting up in the morning. It's not like I get up super early, but I, I mean, I'm not a total slacker either. I mean, I do get up and have time with the Lord, and, but um, the darkness was really getting to me like two weeks ago. And, um, and so I'm glad, you know, that we had that extra hour in the morning, but for some reason then it makes it darker in the evening. And that's crappy, you know, don't like that. And um, yeah, shorter days, longer nights, more darkness, harder to get up, harder to get going. I've talked with a couple of you in the, just in the last month who have really hard nights. You have a really hard time sleeping through the night, and those long, dark nights are difficult for you. I'm, so, I'm just very aware of that as I was preparing that. Um, and you know what? The days are going to keep getting shorter for a while. It's going to be more darkness, like, right, for another month and a half. And then the days will start getting lighter. A couple of our scriptures actually are talking about dark days um, and days getting darker and darker. I mean, the gospel began that we just heard Dan read. Um, some people commented on the temple, and Jesus is like, the days are coming. The days are coming when Jerusalem will be destroyed and the temple will be destroyed. And not only that, let me tell you what it's going to be like for you to those people there with him. He wasn't talking about some tribulation off in the future. He was talking to his friends, his disciples. Dark days. Did you hear it? I mean, persecution, pestilence, famine, hatred, trials, persecution, wars, death. Yeah. Um. There are, some, there are some good words there from Jesus, but I, I want to, uh, if, if you look for them in what Dan read, kind of need to keep reading in the gospel, but I want to look at Malachi with you today, <laughs> the Italian prophet. I always have loved Malachi, um, Malachi, um, which the, the, what was read is the very last section of the Christian Old Testament, of our Old Testament. It's the, the last words um, that we have. And it was spoken in the midst of dark times and dark days. And Malachi, the way Malachi framed his uh, prophetic work when it was put together is around a series of charges that God made of, of his people, and, and then God would say, or Malachi would say for God, but you say, that's the, like the refrain. If you, if you just, it's a short book, four chapters, look at it, you'll see, but you say over and over and over. You know, God says like, the, the, here's reality, but you say this. And so what, what, how it's framed is like the people disputing with God. And 
much, not every single one, there's like at least six of them, most of them are about their worship and how they approach God. Um, and this is the last one. Again, at the end of Malachi, at the end of our Old Testament. And God says through Malachi, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? And God continues to speak. You have said, it is vain to serve God. What profit is there in keeping his charge? Or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And then they start getting even angrier. And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and escape. God's people are really frustrated and really angry, going through a dark time. Do you hear what they're saying? Like, we're struggling and suffering, and you do nothing. The bad people are doing all the wrong things, and they're blessed and doing good. What's up with that? It is vain to serve God. Is anybody, did anybody wake up this morning and, like, that was your declaration? Probably not in so many words, or you wouldn't be here. But possibly rumbling around somewhere in another form. What profit, what is the profit of our keeping his charge? Um, what, what is the benefit, this, this is God's people saying to themselves, what's the benefit of obeying his commandments? What's the benefit of keeping covenant with God, of being faithful covenant people? What's the benefit of that? And then, weirdly, and what is the benefit of walking as in mourning, not not the beginning of the day, but walking as in M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. What is the benefit of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? Now, that's weird. And what's going on here? Uh, one of my favorite Old Testament professors, a man named Doug Stewart, um, argues that, especially in light of God having an issue with the people's worship, and, and by that, for example, God says, the sacrifices you're bringing me, you're bringing me the animals you don't even want. You're bringing me like lame and blind animals for your sacrifices. Another place, God says, you're robbing me, but you say, how are we robbing you in your tithes and offerings? You're, you're not worshiping me with your stuff. And Doug Stewart argues that this bringing mourning, grieving, like ritual grieving into this picture is 
one way of saying the people are um, basically saying it's, it's really no use to pray and worship. God, like mourning, ritualized grieving is the most extreme form of prayer to get God's attention, in, especially in this milieu. Like you put on uncomfortable clothes, you fast, you wail, and part of that is like, God, do you hear, do you see? And so it's getting to, the, it's getting to our heart and motivation, like does God hear, does God care, does God see? But I, all, but I find it interesting that, especially in this season of my life where grief is much on my heart and mind, that God, through Malachi, uses this example. Like, what benefit is there in mourning, in grieving? There's no, like, specific reference what the mourning is about. So that leaves it kind of wide open. Certainly, it's the loss of people, the destruction of the land, people they know who have died, uh, the temples, you know, whatever, you know, people have been taken away, lots of things to grieve. But, uh, but also, the prophets would also say, like, people, you ought to be mourning your sins. You ought to be mourning grieving God. So what, like, what's going on when a people says, like, what benefit is there in really mourning loss deeply and well? I believe this is a word for us and for our time. We don't do it very well. What good is it? It just makes me feel worse to talk about the loss, to honor the pain. And besides that, the people around me are telling me, stop feeling that way. You should be better by now. You should be over it. What profit, what benefit is there in mourning before the Lord? Maybe, maybe another way to say it, we've talked about this at other times, would be, why lament? Why lament? Why not just always offer Psalm 98, which is good and beautiful, and yes, we should. But the Psalms are filled with laments as well. Because God wants us, and he wants our hearts. He wants, like, dialogue, and he, he doesn't just want yes people, people who only come happy, clappy, nothing's wrong, you know. He wants us. He wants us, yes, in faith to praise him because he is good and he is great even when our hearts are breaking. 
but he also wants us to come to him because he's the only one that can really make a difference with the darkness of the days. Rather than huddling together and say, it's vain to serve God. I would I think, I think what Malachi is saying, it's actually vain not to do so. It's actually vain not to feel the pain and express it to God. It's actually vain not to go about mourning when we ought to be mourning. Hang in there with me just a little bit longer on this point. Um, and, I, and I approach this gently. Um, but I want to I read to you a little bit from our Book of Common Prayer. We are Anglicans. We have a tradition in the Book of Common Prayer. And the service for when someone dies, our funeral service, do you know what it's called, the title of it? It's called the Burial of the Dead. It's not called a celebration of life. That is part of what we do, and I'll, I'm going to read something, but it's called, isn't that a stark title? Does anyone like feel really great about that? The Burial of the Dead. I mean, technically, that's what the cover of the bulletin should say. The Burial of the Dead. Mark Joseph Di Cristina, born March 21st, 1957, died God knows when. The Burial of the Dead. So I'm going to read, it's Page 246, if you want to check it out. I want to read some. Just take this opportunity that the lectionary has given me to just remind us of some things and do a little bit of prayer book instruction. So the, the title of this is called Regarding Christian Death and Burial. The burial of a Christian is an occasion of both sorrow and joy. Our sorrow in the face of death and our joy in Jesus's promise of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. The Christian burial liturgy looks forward to eternal life rather than backward to past events. It does not primarily focus on the achievements or failures of the deceased. Did you hear that? Rather, it calls us to proclaim the good news of Jesus and his triumph over death. And now here's, here's the nod to where we want to go exclusively even as we celebrate the life and witness of the deceased. So the prayer book honors that movement in us to celebrate the life, but it is setting it in a, in a bigger context, that we are burying the dead in the hope of the resurrection based on Jesus' victory. There's, there's more. I'm only halfway through. The readings should always be drawn from the Bible and the prayers and music from the Christian tradition. Can't tell you how many times we've had to have this discussion. No, we're not going to do Josh 
Gorbin, is that his name? Um, a wake preceding the service and a reception following the service are appropriate places for personal remembrances. In other words, the eulogy is not the main word that, that, that anchors the burial service. We might sometimes do that. We, we do do that sometime. But the best place for that, the prayer book says, is at a wake or a reception because we want to preach the gospel, the resurrection of Jesus. Where possible, the burial liturgy is conducted in a church and it is often celebrated within the context of the Eucharist. One more paragraph, um, and this is kind of just priestly instruction, again, from the prayer book. The Book of Common Prayer has always admonished Christians to be mindful of their mortality. It is therefore the duty of all Christians as faithful stewards to draw up a last will and testament, making provision for the well-being of their families and not neglecting to leave bequests for the mission of the church. In addition, it is important while in health to provide direction for one's funeral arrangements, place of burial, scripture readings and hymns in the burial liturgy, and to make them known to the priest. All of that is saying um, it is not vain to mourn. That's what it's saying. It's not vain, e even though we don't want to talk about death and we don't want to talk about our heart being ripped open because of how people have trampled on it. So yes, we need the right places, but we've got to do better as the people of God to talk about life as it really is to God. But not only that, to each other. Now, I don't know if you caught it in this passage, what Malachi goes on to say, or God through Malachi goes on to say. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. So after the complaint, and the distrusting, disbelieving posture, it says, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. What, what is going on there? There's a turn in the passage right there. When the faithful people spoke with each other about this struggle of dark days, of death and pain, they spoke with each other. My Old Testament professor, Doug Stewart, argues, and he's like, you know, a brilliant Hebrew guy, he, he says that how that should read is 
Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other, quote, the Lord has paid attention and hears. Whichever way, there's a turn in the passage there that is honoring um, God's people engaging reality together about what's going on and in the light of the promises and the hope that we have from Almighty God. And God gives this assurance. And you heard the text. It goes on to say, God's saying, look, I'm going to take care of those people that are prospering for doing evil. There's a day, I will take care of them, but I'll also take care of you. And the days may be dark. The days may be really dark. And you may feel smothered over by hopelessness and pain and darkness. But what did you hear what God says? There is a day coming. There's a day coming when that sun will rise so bright with healing in its wings. God's saying, I will heal you on that day. And you will go forth like little calves, jumping joyfully with abandon in the field from the stalls. There is a day coming when the sun will rise so bright and so beautiful with healing in his wings. And how can we, like, even put any hope in that? Because there is one who entered our darkness, felt everything we feel. In fact, he entered a very long, sleepless, dark, agonizing night. And he begged his friends to stay near and to pray with him and for him. And he not only entered a dark, dark night that in which he anguished with God about what was before him, but he also entered in death the darkness of a tomb, the darkness of a grave. And he rose up. He rose from the dead on that beautiful, bright first morning of the first day of a new creation. It is not vain to serve God, to keep covenant with God, and to walk when appropriate in mourning before God and with each other. Mourning will give way to mourning. Thanks be to God. Amen.